The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome to Leadership for Life with Gina Gardner on W4CY Radio and Talk 4 TV. Join your host, who is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, empowerment and transformational leadership coach and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely Hyphen You and has 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power. And now, here is Gina Gardner, your host of Leadership for Life. Hello there, and welcome to this show, and it's a show that means a huge amount to me. It's not going to follow the same uh, pattern as normal, and I'll explain why that's happening in a moment. One in two people will develop cancer in the Western world during their lifetime. The, the statistics are stark. And one of the challenges if you have been diagnosed with cancer is how you navigate a way to your, um, to hopefully you being able to say that you are in, in remission long-term and that you can live a really productive and good quality of life. One of the challenges is how you, if you are the patient or you have somebody in your family that you love who is diagnosed with cancer, is how you can best help yourself. And one of the things that's become very evident to me over the last two or three years is that we need to take a significant amount of responsibility for our health and well-being if we want to get the best out of life. And that goes whether or not you've got cancer or not. But a really close friend of mine, somebody who I love very much, developed triple negative cancer um, three years ago. And she put herself in the hands of the oncologist. Now, I wanna make things very, very clear. I am not anti-doctor, absolutely not. We need doctors and they do a pretty good job and we would be in trouble without having them. But what I do want to question is how many people go to the doctor and hand over the responsibility of their well-being to the doctor and take everything that is said as gospel. And I would question that as being a really sensible thing to do. Now, that doesn't mean I don't trust them. It means that I need to question, I need to find out for myself, and I need to be really clear about what I'm doing with my body and why, and be able to make informed decisions because I've got the right amount of information. I'm going to go into Vicky's story um, in, in a bit more detail in a moment. But before I do, I just want to remind those of you who are familiar with the show will know that we are very proud members of B1G1, Buy One, Give One. And anybody who asks a question during the live show or makes a comment or um, sends an email on one of the downloads, because this will be downloaded um, onto the W4CY Leadership for Life YouTube channel or onto one of the, um, the main um, podcast um, platforms, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple and so on. If you send an email and you ask a question, we will donate 
on your behalf to B1G1, which sets, has programs all around the world in terms of health, education, clean water and the environment and so on. So please do comment, do ask questions, do spread the word for this, because this is a program that's not about fluff. What you learn in this program could actually save your life. And it's really important that you, I think, recognize that this comes from a place of wanting to support you and help you, not from a place of criticism. That's really important to me that you take that on board. If you're a doctor listening to this, then I would say to you, please listen with an open mind. Please recognize that actually, you know, maybe there are ways that are different to yours that can enhance what you do rather than closing your mind to other ways because they are not the recognized way that you've been using. So please be open-minded about it. So let's get back to Vicky. Vicky was diagnosed with uh, triple negative uh, breast cancer and she underwent chemotherapy, then surgery, um, and then chemotherapy, uh, radiotherapy, uh, and then chemo again. And she was told, off you go. And off she went. She asked the, uh, the doctors, was there anything she could do to help herself? And the answer was, no, just go and live your life. Within a very short time, it came back. And when she went to the oncologist, she was offered chemo. And whilst the words were not these, the uh, underlying principles were, we will give you chemo until either the disease kills you or the chemo is so destructive that you can't take it anymore. And effectively, um, that will be the end of it. We did research, Vicky particularly through some self-help groups, and she came across a treatment called CyberKnife. And I suggested that perhaps because it was in just one discrete place that maybe surgery would be an option. We went to see the oncologist and the oncologist said, no, not suitable for either of them, can't possibly help, no. Chemo's the right way to go. I'd gone along as a cavalry and I said to the oncologist, look, She's got two children. Her living, her surviving is so important. Isn't it just worth trying? So quite begrudgingly, she wrote the letters. Within a week, Vicky had a, an appointment to go and see the CyberKnife people. And within 10 days, she had an appointment to go and see the surgeon. Both said she was a perfect candidate. She had CyberKnife treatment and for two years appeared to be free of the cancer. Two very good quality years that she wouldn't have had if she hadn't researched and questioned. Now, around the time that things were going very well, we came across a book by a lady called Jane McClelland called How to Starve Your Cancer. But because we were in a position where we thought the cancer had gone, we, we sort of dabbled, but we didn't really take too much notice of it until it came back this year. And so we started to read the book and the, the book shares the most inspirational story of Jane McClellan's own journey with cancer. And I'm absolutely thrilled that she has agreed to join me on the show today. And we're going to explore not only her story, but what she's done as a result of it. You know, you'll have heard me say on this show many, many times, it's not the challenge that defines us, but it's what we do with it. And this remarkable lady has done some amazing things which have arisen out of her own challenge with cancer. So I'd like to read you her bio. Let me just 
read that to you. And then I'm going to invite Jane on. And for the rest of the show, we're going to have Jane um, uh, and we're going to be talking to her and exploring her journey and her her way of dealing with cancer, which is helping many, many other people. Jane McClelland is an international best-selling author of How to Starve Your Cancer, with a second edition of the book just released this year, and a hugely popular educational online course on teachable.com. She's the winner of the New York, um, the NYC Big Book Award, winner of Amazing Women Global Award 2019, winner of the GTEC Social Impact Award 2020, and an international speaker. She is a passionate advocate for cancer patients and a tireless researcher, helping them to find the treatments they need, focusing on shutting down the cancer metabolism. So without more ado, I would like to welcome Jane onto the show. Hi, Dina. Hello there, and thank you so much for joining me. I'd like to start, if you're agreeable, with you sharing your amazing journey because there's nobody who can talk to you about and say, well, you don't understand, you know, what are you doing? So yeah. please share with us your journey. Well, I, I was very much in the same position as your friend who really didn't know very much when you're thrown into the situation with cancer. I, I seriously knew very little. I was a physiotherapist. I had trained and done a little bit of uh, work, but oncology was not my area of expertise. I didn't know anything about it so um i initially just went through uh the surgery the radio um and the chemo as everybody else does but then um you know it was developing from that that i actually learned so much about it and initially i was diagnosed with cervical cancer in 94 that's a long time ago now um but that was when i was still working as a physio um and uh, it was it was a big, devastating blow for me because I was only 30 and that meant that I was going to lose my ability to have children. Um, so that was really crushing. And that actually upset me probably more than the cancer at the time. I was given assurances that it was not going to come back or that, you know, it, lots of noises were made to sort of suggest that I have the treatment and I'd be fine. Um, but sadly, that actually wasn't the case. Um, so in 1999, it came back in my lungs. Um, and at that point, um, I, I'd already done some research because my mother had died in 96 of breast cancer. And that had woke me up to looking at alternatives and looking around the subject. But back then, it was really hard to find information about you know things things to do and what to take and it, there was no facebook no no you know no internet chat rooms nothing like that it was a really hard time to uh try and explore and find um different treatments and i'm i'm thankful that i did find some really wonderful integrative doctors to to quiz and to sort of pick their brains um, and I had, you know, two or three at the time. I just wanted to get as much info out of them as I possibly could. Um, and for a while, I was fine. I was ticking along. Um, I managed to suppress, even though it was stage four at this time, and they sort of given me um, weeks to live. Uh, I managed to, you know, extend that and I was doing okay. Um, but then by 2003, we noticed changes happening in my blood. 
um, I had a deleted p53 gene I had changes and other things and then that meant that I was having another recurrence of cancer but it was a different cancer because my cervical markers were completely normal still but everything suggested and I um that the blood looked abnormal that I was getting this myelodysplasia which then mutates into acute myeloid leukemia pretty fast um and I've since had it confirmed as well so I I then went on another journey of um okay upping my game because that wasn't enough uh, can so I I'm just not... stop? Can I just yeah. stop? Because I think it's really important that the people who are watching or listening, at the point that you discovered that you had the, the leukemia, mm. you were not given much chance of survival, were you? That um, treatment related leukemia, because it was a result of the chemo and the radiotherapy that I'd had uh, years earlier, it sort of it tends to occur between seven to nine years after your treatment and people right. are now living longer and actually more people are actually starting to get this type of uh, bone marrow cancer and uh, leukemia so you know it was a result of the treatment which meant I was turned totally turned off having any more chemo at that point I'm not anti-chemo generally and I've had two rounds of it you know um, but this time around I decided I would take this leap of faith and try a different route um and at that point i researched all sorts of articles and i mm -hmm. learned and i educated myself and i'd really decided that uh trying and i, I knew it wasn't just a single thing that would help cancer mm -hmm. i would need a combination of treatments to actually attack it in different ways. And I'd understood things like glucose feeding it, and I knew about IGF-1, but I didn't know um, as much as I know now, but uh, that the literature has kind of gone uh, bananas and, and it had just blown up with all sorts yeah. of uh, information about cancer metabolism. It's been kind of the thing for the last few years in research. Hasn't reached the clinic yet, but it's still, it is what researchers are looking at. Um, but I discovered several off-label drugs that I knew could possibly help me and, and more researchers come out all the time about these drugs, you know, and their anti-cancer effects. And dipridamol was one of them. It's an antiplatelet drug normally given for people with um, heart valve issues. Um, it was actually a forerunner to, to statins. It was kind of like the stroke prevention drug before statins became the the uh, drug du jour, but actually I took a statin as well because they both work on cholesterol pathways, interestingly. Um, I didn't know about the dipridamol working on cholesterol at the time. I knew that it it had other effects, that it's a nucleoside salvage inhibitor, and that stopped protein chunks for making DNA getting into the, the cell and being used to make new daughter cells. So I knew about that. I knew it had those anti-cancer effects. And I knew statins uh, showed a good um, evidence for increasing my survival by possibly, if I was lucky, seven months. Uh, so I took that on board. Um, so that added to my cocktail. Uh, and then I used um, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug called Itodilac, which is normally used for arthritis. That went into my mix because it made the statin work five times better so I was thinking okay well maybe I'll extend my life more I don't know um and then you know it just added added and added and I then 
carried on. I had intravenous vitamin C, I had berberine, I had quercetin, I had omega-3s, I had, you know, there was a whole host of yeah. uh, supplements that I took just to boost my metabolism, boost boost my, um, my healthiness. Yeah. But also I knew I was probably blocking pathways that the cancer wanted to use to feed itself. And that was that was key. But beyond that, I was obviously changing my diet. I was doing more exercise. Um, so there are many things I'd uh, altered in my life. And certainly I was uh, emotionally, initially I'd been really distraught with the whole um, lack of uh, fertility. But then um, by the time I got stage four, I thought, well, I'm going to die, aren't I? So there's no point being depressed about that anymore. <laughs> I might as well just focus on surviving. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know uh, the surrogacy and things then um, ended up. So I do actually now have a fabulous uh, family. I've got two boys. Um, everything worked out in the end, but it was a, a real battle and a, and a journey to get where I wanted to be. Um, all the way through, it was just being like punched in the stomach so many times, and and you just think, wow, how can I get through it this time? What what yeah. do I I have to do now you know and I'm sure there are a lot of um people out there who who may listen to this who've got cancer who've maybe had it come back who who know that feeling of, of dismay and the 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 real sort of uh gut-wrenching feeling that oh my god I've got to go through this all over again it's just the worst feeling it really is so yeah it's I'm, something I'm I wish sure. to raise from my head but it, I, I, you know I'm kind of I live it a little bit when I when I um, talk to other people um, and actually going back and talking. To, I, I was hoping my book was going to be out there and it would sort of lead people the sort of the um, the how to bit. So here you go. Off you go. Don't bother me anymore. <laughs> I've done that. But it hasn't worked out that way. at all. I'm sure it hasn't. I just tried to think, I, I thought I'd put the book um, right here, but I have obviously left it on the, the dining room table. I was going to hold it up. You actually got your book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, right there, right. over there if you wait one sec I can show okay. it now one while sec. you're doing that um uh, Jane had a, a, a nickname and her nickname was Maracas because of all of the tablets that she took that she was always felt as if she was shaking and I know that because uh, Vicky has started on a number of these things that the number of, of pills and supplements and things is is quite significant um and when show them the book um i've looked at uh, i half read the first uh, version and i've now read the second version uh twice i have to say the second version is so much easier to navigate thank you very much indeed yes index it makes such a lot of difference um but one of the things that i think for people who are perhaps hearing this for the first time and I know when I read your book for the first time, getting your head around the understanding of pathways um, in terms of cancer is quite, um, it's quite a, a leap really to understand the pathways. Yeah. Um, and so in simple language, my understanding is that the cancers get fed in order to grow and to multiply. And if you can cut off their food supply, then they are much less able to do that. And I know in your book you talk about then killing the cancer, but let's for the moment talk about starving the cancer. Yeah. So would you like to explain to people, you know, 
a why that's so important and how it sort of works but in but in real yeah. layman's terms so that anybody who has no idea of your book or no idea of this but perhaps I, one of the things I've noticed I've, I've, I've had a number of friends with cancer to start with that their brain is is like right. I mean, particularly if they've had chemo you know that's it, uh, um, twice as bad so, so for the uninitiated you know let's do the really yeah. simple step-by-step -step version if we may well the simple step-by-step -step version is that everybody kind of knows that sugar feeds cancer it's kind of like the big thing that uh, almost everybody knows but a lot of oncologists will deny um but it was shown back in the 1920s that that cancer has this really avid appetite for glucose and it'll take up almost 10 times uh, as much as normal healthy cells because it's trying to fuel it and that provides the energy for the division and the creation of its daughter cells so from one it sort of divides into two etc um, but the old theory was that it was just the nucleus inside the cell that was responsible for cancer and that it was the you know all the dna inside that was uh, the key but actually it's turned out that it isn't that at all it is the mitochondria the little energy houses that live in the cytoplasm in the main body of the cell um, but not the nucleus and this is what causes the problem it is actually a um, defects in the mitochondria which are caused um, uh, uh, by uh, the the tumor micro environment sending messages in and altering the way that they um, make energy um, possibly it might even be, you know, we don't know yet and they haven't looked and studied this particularly deeply yet, but there may be bacteria getting into the cell, very tiny bacteria, or there may be the influence of parasites on the outside sending signals in. Um, but we do know that there are little tiny RNA that go in and tell the cell to, to behave differently. But it's not just glucose. They also, you know, the, the problem is, is the, the cancer cell is really clever and it doesn't just use glucose, it can learn to use glutamine, which is an amino acid, and that's a, a protein. Um, and sadly, that's the most abundant protein in the body, but you can't stop the, um, the amino acid being in your body, you just have to stop the access getting, you know, the, the, the cancer getting access to the glutamine. And then you've got fat as well, and that's kind of, um, that's used for fuel, it's used for communication, it's used for, um spreading metastases it's it's actually um far more important than many people realize and you need to eat the right fat to to make sure and saturated fat is something you need to avoid um when you have cancer but eating the right fats is really critically important but those are your three macros in your diet carb protein and fat and cancer can use all three and ketones as well you know um in in the right circumstances um and with BRAF mutated cancers, which are um, uh, very common in melanomas, skin cancers, and sometimes in colorectal cancer, they can use ketones. So you have to be a little bit careful sometimes yeah. about your diet, but it's about feeding the cancer and it being able to switch from one pathway to, to use it from glucose, to using glutamine, to using fat. And it can, most cancers um, rely heavily on the glucose but they also use these other pathways as well so it's it's something that requires it's a complex disease um and it took me a while to sort of 
work out and try and simplify what is a really, really complex um, metabolism to try and simplify into like a little triangle with the three, three macros and actually say, right, these fuel lines are the glucose, these are the glutamine ones, and these are the fat ones. Um, so it was a lot of research and it kind of looks very simple. And you think, oh, well, you know, <laughs> it, was, it, didn't, it didn't happen overnight. Um, I'm sure it didn't. Uh, I'm sure. Thought. One of the things that really helped me understand it was when you talked about the way in which the cancers can change uh, how they operate to if you're going on a journey and you use the example of the London Underground. Now, yeah. for those of you that are in the States, the London Underground is, is our subway and there are several different lines on the subway and they're all interconnected. I believe you have the same sort of thing if you go to the New York subway that they have different lines. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that if one of, the, um, one of the railway lines was closed down for some reason, you would just reroute and find another way. Um, and it might take a little bit longer, but you would still find another way to your destination. And if the worst came to the worst, you'd go back upstairs and you'd get a taxi, but you'd find another way to get there. And that the, ta the, the cancers operate very much in the same way. If, they, if you take one food away from them, but you don't do anything about the others, they will then say, well, I can't have that. But actually, I will find a way of using something else. Um, yeah. Clever little bugger. Um, it yeah. finds its way to Probably. do that. Uh, <laughs> and that's why it's been so hard to actually cure and for people to, to look at um uh, really useful treatments that will actually stop and block all those different pathways because it hasn't the metabolism has taken a really uh, back seat ever since the 1950s when they discovered the p53 gene and prior to that Otto Warburg was kind of like the big thing and then in the 1950s it all suddenly switched to it's all about genetics and they kind of forgot about the metabolism and how important that was or the significance of it but if yes. you look at what the p53 does it increases the uptake of sugar it increases the uptake of glut glutamine as well um, those are two key pathways that it really operates and, and influences and that is something that it does with every cancer and because it influences every cancer they were obsessed by the fact it was all in the nucleus and the the gene, yes. but no, the, the gene expresses certain things and it actually, you know, it's, it's in yeah. response. It's what happens in the nucleus is in response to what's happening in the mitochondria yeah. and the mitochondria telling it to do certain things. Um, so it's downstream, if you know what I mean. It's not yes. an upstream event. It's an uh, effect, not a cause. Correct. Yeah. 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 So you, it strikes me that, that what we can do um, ourselves to avoid cancer um, in the first place or certainly when you have cancer is that there are certain foods that we all know aren't very good for us that we can avoid so a diet that's heavily um, full of processed foods or too much saturated fat or too much sugar all of those um, add to your risk factor not only for cancer but for heart disease and stroke and all sorts of diabetes yeah. Um, well, I'd be interested to know what do you? Why do you think that that the vast majority of certainly of looking at your book in terms of the research from the people who are using your protocol, 
that the number of oncologists who are very dismissive of diet um, and in fact only a few weeks ago I was sitting in the office with uh, with Vicky and she asked the oncologist you know how can I help myself and again she was told there's no way to help yourself just rely on you know basically they didn't say it, but she, the words were no there's nothing you can do to help yourself and I find that it's hugely it. worrying Oh, more than worry. I mean, it is uh, it's devastating for the patient to be told that. And it doesn't matter what comes out of the oncologist's mouth, it, that, that you kind of believe it. If you're the patient, you're kind of inbuilt to, to accept anything they, they say as gospel. It's very hard to question and go, you know what, you might be wrong. Um, but, but to actually say that out loud kind of feels like a, you know, Travis, you, sh you shouldn't say it. And it's... Um, it's really hard to, to convince yourself that your beliefs are actually stronger and you have to sit there and go, no, I know better. Um, uh, and you don't want to alienate your doctor. So no. you have to kind of go along with them because you're in their hands. And it's a very tricky situation because they know that they have this power and control and they can give you you know they're really in charge of your life or death to be honest i mean they can yes. over treat you with chemo they can under treat you with chemo um it, it's a are they getting it right and it's a really tricky balance trying to keep them on side and yet you know that there are a, a lot more things that you can do and and diet certainly is is an area where people can take back that control and actually start to feel some ownership of uh, yeah, the problem yeah. and feel like they have some influence on the outcome because otherwise you're just a passive bystander. You're in that yeah. passenger seat. You're not in the driving seat and you don't feel that you have um, the ability to, to turn the corners when you want, you know? Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very hard uh, position to be in. And I think, you know, whilst cancer is, uh, we're talking about cancer. I mean, I have a long history having had a ski accident in 1983 two failed back surgeries, learned to walk twice. And so one of the things that really resonated with me is how the parallels are there. And I was um, like the first surgeon that I worked with, and his, I quote, when I had failed back surgery was, um, the operation was a success, my dear. It's you who's the failure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay um the second time it still failed back surgery but a fabulous neurosurgeon who worked with me to help me get uh, the, the best functionality I could and I don't know if you've ever read the book called blink but it talks no. about there uh, around intuition and the relationship that you have with your own intuition and with other people and it talked uh, uh, in the book it talks about how many doctors um, are, and it's part of their training really they're conditioned that they very quickly look for the diagnosis and then having got a diagnosis to try to prove the diagnosis is right where those doctors who are much more open-minded and who take a little longer to um, to really test their theory actually make better diagnosis but the paradox is that the doctors who create a, a good relationship with their patients however bad they are they don't get sued 
but you can have a cracking doctor who's really good but if they don't make eye contact and make that relationship yeah. they they are likely to get sued yeah. and i think one of the challenges we have in med in western medicine is people rarely get challenged for doing too much rather than doing too little and one of the things that conversations we had with the uh, with the gp is that we can't give you false hope because if we give you false hope then people can sue us which is ridiculous because there's no such thing as false hope i mean yes you shouldn't you shouldn't promise that you are going to um make someone see you know if you know somebody's got stage four to say i'll i'll help you see your daughter's wedding which who knows is another 30 years away or something uh to make statements like that is is rash and 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 ridiculous but to say look there are options out there and let's try these and with any luck we should get a better result and and that's where we are um i don't like to tell people yes you're going to be cured or anything like that i couldn't possibly say things like that no. but what i can say is that i know that the treatments, um, if you block these metabolic routes, you can slow down the cancer. With any luck, you'll reverse it and hopefully, you know, go go into remission. And that has happened with a uh, quite a large number of people now. So I can tell you categorically that it can happen. Um, so you know, uh, not just me. Um, yeah. So there is that, and it's not fake hope. It is real hope. And the fact that other people are achieving that um you know and unfortunately we don't have data yet we don't have enough um evidence to support I, I mean i will be doing an app at some point to try and get some um data in to to try and show that these combinations that uh, that what what I, I'm, I'm suggesting does work i mean the care oncology clinic who who provide thankfully a very similar cocktail to the one that i did uh, in many respects i mean it in, involves uh, metformin, statin, and they've got mebendazole, which is an anti-worming drug, uh, very low toxicity, and then doxycycline, which is an antibiotic. Um, their combination has uh, already been shown to at least double the life of patients with brain cancer, but it's also showing similar results with other um, other patients. They just haven't been going long enough to no. prove that yet, but with GBM, the life expectancy is normally so short that it's the easiest one to say, yes. let's have a look at these results and see whether we can make that better. Um, so, um, but actually with triple negative, they're showing that as well. Um, so it, it, it'll get there, that the data will come out eventually to show that, uh, you know, you can extend. And a lot of these people are going into remission as well. So, you know, it's early days yet, and we're yes. still, um, still looking at it. And obviously if we could get people to go earlier and to, to treat their cancers with these combinations a bit earlier, you could stop them from progressing from a stage one or two to, to that terrible and more tricky, more challenging uh, stage at the end. Um, so yes. it's not such a, a, an effort because, you know, the, the more it progresses, kind of the more you have to throw at it yeah. to try and get it back, if you know what I mean. Um, so it Which becomes... Is yeah. I'm going to say it's very much why I wanted you to come on the show, because had we understood this earlier on, then I don't think we'd be in the same position that yeah. things are now. Yeah. One of the things I think it's important, and I know we're sort of looping about, but different cancers have very different profiles, don't they? And they, one they of the have... things 
that yeah. you talk about is get to know your own cancer and Absolutely. you know, make sure that you are you're working with your particular uh, cancer. I'd be really great if you could speak to that because I think it's it's something that people need to recognise and it's quite it's it's quite complex. Yeah, well, it is a bit complex, but there, you know, each cancer will have a different metabolic fingerprint, if you like. So it it expresses uh, different, it uses different nutrients in in different ways. But um, there are key metabolic pathways that are uh, common to all cancers. Um, but it's which ones are dominant. So is um, you know is the GLUT one more dominant than the GLUT three, which is uh, these are glucose receptors on the surface. Um, so myeloma, for example, we use GLUT4, which is a really tricky one because that's the one that's normally used to feed your muscles. So how do you block that? You, you kind of can't really without sort of stopping the glucose getting to your muscles. Um, but stopping the other, you know, it's, 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 so it becomes some, some things are more challenging. Yeah. Um, myeloma, for example, we use something called the proteasome more and, um, that's something that uh, can be blocked as well with supplements and um, disulfiram, which is an old, um, it's, it's, a, it's a drug that stops people from drinking too much. It gives you a hell of a hangover <laughs> if, you, if you take it uh, and you drink at the same time. It's uh, apparently um, uh, horrendous. <laughs> right. uh, but that, that uh, so, th so there are things that can help all these different um, cancers, but I want to create this kind of database of things that uh, I, I know will help. Um, I'm trying to put together a cocktail for pancreatic cancer at the moment, and and I'm trying to get some of these big funds to 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 actually put this um, into a trial because I, I really want to see proper trials that will actually yeah. convince doctors it's not just you know um, story Wiki woo and yeah. pink and fluffy yeah. <laughs> Now, I've read your book, as I say, but we also did the course. And if anybody's listening to this, I would really urge you read the book first and then do the course. And then the book really starts to make sense. But if I think if you've done the course first and then without the book, then I don't think it would fit into place. But it was rather like doing a 3D jigsaw puzzle. And as you did the course, so the pieces got put into the right places in the 3D <laughs> jigsaw puzzle. Um, um, and I thought it was very well done. It's, it's structured into short videos that just give you um, a, a bite-sized chunk. Um, and I would urge you, if you have, are you, if you're the one with cancer, it's great to have a buddy do it with you. Uh, because if you've got um, chemo brain, having somebody to take notes, and we took notes and then made spreadsheets and so on of it all. How do you go? I mean, I understand your motivation, but but creating something like the book and like the, the course, how did you go about it? Because you've got this huge amount of information. How do you? I have, and that was the thing. I, I just knew I couldn't sit on it, that it was, it was wrong for me to have this information. I was, I was. Having found the care oncology clinic, it was like, hallelujah, someone's actually doing something similar to me. You know, I, I'd been pushing and pushing and trying to get patients and friends who I'd met who said, you know, how, how did you do it? How, what should I take? Um, and I'd be researching for them. I'd find all sorts of different cocktails of things. And I'd say, well, try and get this, that and the other. Nobody was getting anywhere. They're all getting the, the you know, the hand 
from the uh, from the oncologist. Nobody was getting any prescriptions um, for metformin, for statins. These would come up regularly as uh, in in the research as things to um, to add into the cocktails. So I, I I was just I was dismayed. But then suddenly coming across this article. Um, it was in the Telegraph about uh, the Care Oncology Clinic was just uh, a revelation to me, and so I got into contact with them. I said, "Well, come on, we got to we got to spread the word." And they they said, "Go on, write your book." And I was thinking, "Oh, shall I?" <laughs> so it, took, um, it did took a long time for me to sit down, and I, I, you know, I'd never really written a book before. I'd, I'd done some things before but not really sat down and written a whole book like that I mean that was um and it's quite a, show the book yeah. again so people can recognize it because it is quite a weighty tome yeah um, yeah that's pretty thick and it's it's not you know it's not tiny it's not big writing um no. that's um normal it's, size it's, it's not it, bedtime reading let me tell you you have to be awake <laughs> however that's a bit easier so half, half school, the book is my stories. It's a, is a lot easier to read. Yeah. <laughs> um, but part two is kind of a little bit uh, uh, more science-y. Uh, and there is quite a lot to take in. Um, but you can't... I thought about this a lot, actually, as we were reading it and as I was reading it for the second time before this interview um, and having done the course. Your challenge is, if you dumb it down to too much it then becomes meaningless yes, exactly I had to I had to find a way to explain it to people in a way that was simpler uh than you know showing a uh the, the, the normal map of metabolism is such a spidery web of, yeah. of you know you can't possibly make head or tail out of it if you are a, a, a lay person um and you know I just tried to simplify it and find the key key pathways that I knew were really important um, and focus on those that there are other pathways that I haven't yes. mentioned you know in that you know I mean we could go on forever with endlessly yeah. going down little rabbit holes but um, uh, I wanted to, to focus on the really important ones that I thought uh, and I may be you know there may be ones that may be more important for some cancers that I haven't mentioned uh, and I will be doing more research into individual cancers to, to look at that and to um, so when I create the app hopefully I'll be um, uh, looking at and I'll get I want to get sort of focus groups uh, of different cancers so I can actually work with them to um, to really try and find out uh, the best approach for, for each one um, but yeah Mm, uh, before we go on, I just want to go back to care oncology because my impression of care oncology from the research I've done is that not only are they um, uh, prescribing these the four drugs, but they're actually a clinical trial in motion because they're taking note of what other people, what people supplements and diet and so on, and they are being able to aggregate that information. Um, so they will have a body of information that they can uh, use with the, the general medical profession. Um, and it's, yeah. it's, it just seems to me that, that that's going to be a really great piece of work, but it's going to take a bit of time, as you say. Well, I, d I don't know that they've gone to, I mean, I've, I've asked them what they're doing with all the data on the supplements, et cetera. I don't think they're actually using that at the moment. They're just right, looking right. at the data on the, which the is form. where I'm I should step in and actually you know, analyze that myself um, and try and find, create an app that will really 
um, spew out some useful information uh, with just, we're looking at, um, I don't want to look at absolutely everything. I've got to nail it down to certain things, otherwise we'll get lost. Yes. But um, with off-label drugs and with supplements and some lifestyle factors as well, you know, um, exercise and sleep, for example, you know, looking at those kind of things and the influence of that uh, and stress. So I want to look at uh, those kind of factors as well um, uh, and see where we, we go. I mean, it's a fairly big project and it's going to take me a while to get this thing together. And I'm trying to raise money through um, the online course to do that. Yes. Um, I, I should maybe do a crowdfunder. I don't know. I'm, you know, it's, it's well, gonna, certainly yeah. if there's somebody listening to this who um, has an interest and, you know, wants to back you, then please get in touch because this is a really important piece of work. Yeah. I want to spend a bit of time and um, where I'm just looking at we've, we've got a, a very few minutes left. The protocol is not for the faint hearted, I have to say, <laughs> you know, changing your yeah. diet significantly. Is, is quite hard, particularly if you're somebody who loves their food and, and has a, uh, a particular way of, of eating. But yeah. we've talked about off-label drugs and there'll be people who won't understand what you mean by off-label. That, that means that um, metformin, for example, is um, on the label, it says it's for diabetes, type 2 diabetes, but actually we are using it for cancer. So it's an off-label. It means it's used for um, another condition that is yeah. not uh, that it's not normally prescribed for. Right. Thank you. The other thing is that there'll be many people who are listening to this who are on a very limited budget. Yeah. And one of the things that's become very evident working with Vicky is that the supplements can be incredibly not well, not as individuals, but when you put them all together, it can be a significant amount of money. And and that is quite a burden. And I, I, I kind of want to um, help people with that as well by sort of putting combination pills together for people so that you, you take five instead of 53 <laughs> uh, or, yes. um, yeah I know um, but you know that, that's um, that's in the pipeline as well but you know it's um, it is a significant amount of investment um, uh, people do crowdfunders just to keep themselves going you know and I I, I I suggest anybody who who wants to to do this I mean that the key is to get the if you can get prescription drugs um, and on the NHS, we're lucky that we can get a lot of things for free. If you have cancer uh, and you can get the NHS to prescribe, you can get them for free. So if you can get a drug that covers yeah. many of those pathways, then it's kind of much cheaper. Uh, I, I don't know that it's the same in the States, but, you know, it's um, um, you can get uh, you, you can get a lot of these things covered and the, the prescriptions for free. So certainly um I know a lot of people just want to do everything naturally, um, but the you know the the off-label drugs do have low toxicity, and a lot of people hate statins and think they're the worst things on on the planet. They've they've received a lot of um, negative uh, press, and uh, well, it's 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 mostly not in the media actually. It's more social media where people slate them, um, and that you know changes people's opinion as to to whether they should take them or not they are very useful for many cancers we've got two minutes left and there are several things mm -hmm. i still want to do you've got a facebook group where people can go and join the facebook group if they've got cancer or they're helping somebody with cancer the facebook group is called 
Jane McClelland, Off-Label Drugs for Cancer. Bit of a mouthful, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> and I would really urge you to go and have a look. Um, I just want to spend a minute, Vicky and I have, it, in fact, it got published today. I haven't got a copy of the book, but I've got a copy of the cover. We've just written a little book, which is about your life in their hands. Where does the responsibility live? And it's exploring the partnership between you and your doctor and the relationship you have with yourself. It's a little book. It's very, very inexpensive. And there's a, a checklist at the back of, of how you can approach talking to professionals. And, and, and it shares with you a bit of our story and about Jane and where you can find Jane. So go and have a look. It got published today on, on Amazon. So okay. that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Jane, you're going to have to come back again um, because there's still so much to talk about. You've been an absolute pleasure. Lastly, your B1G1 project is all about education. I haven't got time to go into it now, but thank you so much for joining me. It has been a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Gina. I have to come back again. Thanks so I, much. I will certainly do that. Okay. Lovely. Bye -bye. For those of you listening, please, please spread the word. Make sure that anybody that you know who is facing cancer knows about Jane McClelland and how to starve your cancer. It could save their life. It could save your life. But whatever, be the leader in your own life. Take care now. Bye-bye. You have been listening to The Leadership for Life with your host, Gina Gardner. Make sure you tune in to W4CY Radio and Talk 4 TV next Thursday and every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for more Leadership for Life. If you missed any part of this episode or just want to hear or see it again, you can find the archive of the TV show on Talk 4 TV's YouTube channel and the podcast of The Leadership for Life on iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.